Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. Jesus was speaking was at the Last Supper when he is with his disciples just before he goes to the cross. And we have to keep in mind some things that we may not recognize, but that the people who are listening to Jesus would have immediately thought. As Jesus says these powerful words, they would have immediately had pictures in their mind that you and I maybe have to some level, but not to the way that they did. And these words would have been remarkable in the way that they hit their hearts. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Now, Jesus said this in the spring. Why do we know this? Because this happened during the Passover. He was having a meal with his disciples in that season of Passover. And the Passover was when God, it was something they celebrated when God came and rescued the people of Israel from slavery. God called Moses to go to Egypt and ask the Pharaoh to set the people free. And it's remarkable that God chose that day, that time he chose the spring. Why? Because out of winter, out of the darkness, out of the brokenness, out of the slavery, God brings his people out into a fruitful life. And so every year, the people of Israel will look back at that time, thousands of years before they would look back and remember what God did for them. So the Passover always happened around the spring. And this is the picture that people would have had when Jesus says, I am the true vine. This, what you, what you see in this picture would have been what they were looking at all over the area in Jerusalem and Judea, where vineyards were about to be prepared for the spring. In the winter, the, the vineyards had all kinds of dead uh, wood coming out of it. And all of the gardeners would prepare the vineyards and do work in them so that soon, as soon as the plants were ready, they would begin to create fruit. And, and this is what they would have heard when Jesus says, I am the true vine. They would have immediately thought of this picture. But that's not all. First of all, he uses the word I am. Now, you've heard us say this over the series over and over. This is the ending of the series, but I'm going to take one more chance to remind us of this powerful truth. And that is Jesus says, I am. Now, this I am, he does seven times in the gospel according to John, where John records Jesus describing who he is. And every time that Jesus said that I am, people would have heard the words of God when Moses said, who it is that I should say sent me, God said to Moses, you tell them, I am has sent you. I am that I am. I will be that I will be. This beautiful name of God describes his entirety, his, his eternal nature. And when Jesus says, I am, he begins these statements with I am, immediately people would have known that Jesus was equating himself with the creator. No doubt about that. In fact, that offended people time and time again. And Jesus here on his seventh statement says, I am the true vine. 
Now, before I go to the vine, let me go to the next statement. He says, my father is the gardener. Now, time and time again, Jesus spoke about the the father, the creator, as his father. He talked about God the father. He even taught people to pray to the father. Now, this was extremely unusual in the Old Testament. People would never call God their father. Yes, God was the father of Israel, the father of the nation, but you would never refer to him in a personal way as God the father. So it was remarkable that Jesus did this over and over again. In fact, if you count in the New Testament, Jesus did it 156 times. This would have been something that as people heard it, they would have gone, you are different, Jesus. You are talking in such a way, a relationship with the creator. First, you are obviously saying, I am, and then you are relating to the creator as father. And now he says, I am the true vine. Now, this would not have been missed by the Jewish hearers. Because you see, in the Old Testament, in their scriptures, time and time again, God is written to say that he created the people of Israel as his vine. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 5, it says, the vineyard of the Lord of armies is the house of Israel. God created a nation for himself, a people group, not because of geography, but he actually chose a people group to be his people. And that nation was his vine. From that nation, he would produce fruit that would be a blessing to many. What did he tell to his people? You will be blessed to be a blessing. It was his desire that his nation would be a blessing to the whole world, to all nations. And Isaiah chapter 5, if you read it, it begins by reminding us that God created the nation of Israel to be fruitful, to be a blessing. But as you read the chapter, you find out that Israel failed at it miserably. Time and time again, the people of Israel, while they followed God, they would follow other gods. They would would get distracted. They would start whining and complaining about God. They did not trust God all of the time. And so they were not fruitful. And when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he is comparing himself to the nation of Israel. He's saying, what Israel could not do, I have come to do. What Israel was, what failed at miserably, I will do. But you see, this is the human condition before you and I judge Israel. This is what I did when I first read the Bible. I, I was thinking, man, these people, these, these Israelites are just, man, they're dumb. God's doing all these amazing things for them. And yet they keep falling away. And soon I realized, whoop, that's all of us. Why? Because, listen, it began in the garden. God created Adam and Eve, man and woman, to do what? To multiply and be fruitful. And they failed at that too. What was the one thing God wanted of them? For them to be dependent on God, obedient with God, in in community with God. But they chose independence. And isn't that what we all do? We choose to do things our way. We say, thanks God, but I'll I'll take care of it from here. Wherever that area in our lives is, we try to do things our way. That's what they did. So they were not fruitful, not the way God created them to be. And then God creates the nation of Israel. Okay, let's try this one more time. Now with the people of Israel, let's let's make a nation to demonstrate God's plan all along. And they too fail. And what God is trying to demonstrate to us through the people of Israel is that us as people created by God, cannot, cannot be fruitful on our own. 
No matter how much we try to be independent of God, there's only so far we're going to get before we get ourselves into trouble. And so sure enough, Jesus says, I am the true vine. I came to do what Adam and Eve couldn't do. I came to do what Israel couldn't do. I came to do what you cannot do. I came to be fruitful, to be blessed, to be a blessing. I am the true vine. And the hearers of this would have understood what Jesus was saying. They would have immediately have seen that God, Jesus came to do something else, that God knows, God knows that we can't do it on our own. It was a plan that God set in motion from the very beginning to rescue us from ourselves, to rescue us from death, to rescue us from our sinful nature. That's what Jesus came to do. Now, I know many people say, I don't like fire and brimstone preachers. And you'd like to think that? Well, Jesus was a fire and brimstone preacher. Because if you read God's word, this is one of those passages of many, any of these red letter parts, where Jesus makes it very clear that God has a plan for those who will not trust him. And it's hard to hear. And when we listen to these words where it says in um, verse 2, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he does what? He removes. He cuts off, essentially. And later it gets even more descriptive. Now I want to make something very clear for us so we don't get distracted here. Jesus is not saying that if you believe and trust in him and you give your life to him, that you could lose your security in him, that you could lose your salvation. There's lots of people who read this passage and say, yeah, that's going to happen. You could be, you can trust in Jesus, but if you somehow fall short in the way that you trust Jesus, you could lose your salvation. Wrong. Because listen, we just did Romans chapter 8, right? What did we learn in Romans chapter 8? There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. We learn that Jesus will not lose a single one of his children, not a single one of his sheep. And that God intends, once we put our trust in Jesus, for us to be secure in Christ. Listen, if it were up to us to earn our way, we would never know what it took to get there. We would never know. We would not even know how to do that. There is nothing that we can do to earn our eternal salvation. That is done for us on the cross by Jesus and by grace. Our task is simply to believe that to be true. So who is Jesus talking about here? You have to know this. He said this statement right after Judas Iscariot left. You see, of the 12, Jesus already knew one would betray him. And, and he tells Judas, go do what you feel like you must do. Judas chooses to betray Jesus, to leave him. He had walked with Jesus for three years. He had seen his miracles. He had heard his teaching. He, has, he had spent time with Jesus, and yet he chose to reject him. And I think that that is who Jesus is referring to here. He's saying, there, there are those who will not remain in me. And then the picture that God gives us, it's pretty startling, right? It says in verse 6, if you read verse 6, it says, If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burnt. Is that not fire and brimstone? 
And that ought to make us a little bit nervous if we're kind of like checking Jesus out and thinking we can just add Jesus to our life or take what we want from him, but not believe that he is the one and only that can save our lives. There's an incredible, very uh, direct statement that Jesus is making here. You must remain in me if you want your life to count. How many of us want to have a fruitful life? Yes, we want a fruitful life. We want to have a life that has purpose and meaning, a life that's full of passion, a life that leaves a legacy. That's what we all want. You know, it's not just here in this room. Everybody wants that. You know, the most popular book sold was The Purpose Driven Life. Because believers and unbelievers, including atheists, want the same thing. We all want a life that is fruitful. And Jesus is saying, there's only one way. There's only one way. This is where Jesus makes it very clear. And I know this is offensive to some people to hear. But it is what Jesus is saying. Take offense with his own words. He said there's only one way. The other way, not so good. Now listen, by spring, this is what the vines would look like. That last year's growth of wood would essentially dry out. The leaves would fall. And the gardener would come and start clipping these out. And the very first things they take out is the dead wood. Now, there are a zillion videos on YouTube about this. I know. I watch them. I recommend you watch them because when you watch them, you'll understand this incredible metaphor that Jesus is using. Because the, the vineyard uh, gardener immediately goes through and takes out all of that dead wood because it's just sucking the life out of the vine and it does not allow it to be fruitful. Not to mention those particular dead pieces of wood aren't going to create anything that's good. And so the gardener comes and he clips and he cuts and he throws away all of that dead wood. That's what Jesus is pointing to. And he says, you must remain in me if you're not going to be one that will be cut off. So for those of us who put our trust in Jesus, once we do that, our salvation is secure. But for our lives to be fruitful, we must remain in him. We must remain in him. Now, what does it mean to remain? Oh, this is where I got all geeky in my study. So geeks in the room, this is a moment for us, all right? Because this is like fascinating to me. If you were here last week, we talked about how Jesus said, um, I'm going to prepare a place, remember? So that where I am, you may be also. And we talked about the word, the Greek word that Jesus used there, which is a word for dwelling, uh, for be, being, being in Christ and Christ being in us. So that word that we studied last week was monet, which is that permanent dwelling place. A room is how it's described in the John chapter 14. Today in chapter 5, Jesus is using the word meno, which is the verb version of that dwelling. And here what it means is to remain to continue, to stay steadfast, to persist, to wait in this dwelling. In other words, Jesus is saying, stay dwelling in me. I dwelling in you. When we're in that unity as the Father and I are one, your life will be fruitful. Amen? That's what Jesus is saying. Stay dwelling. Allow me to dwell in you. That's what Jesus did through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus uses this word 11 times in this chapter. Remember I told you that anytime, anytime scripture repeats itself, we ought to pay, note, pay, pay attention, right? Because something is being said of importance. But when Jesus repeats himself 11 times, what do you think? This is important. 
This is of paramount importance. It's the last thing he's telling his disciples before he goes on the cross. He's saying, remain in me. Dwell in me. Let me dwell in you. Stay steadfast in that direction. That's about the only thing you have power to do. That's it. That is our role as believers. Simply to allow to remain in Jesus Christ himself. That we might have a fruitful life and not the unfruitful life that the Israelites had. Jeremiah 21 said this about the Israelites. I planted you a choice vine from the very best seed. How then could you have turned into a degenerate foreign vine? Do we want those words said about us? Oh, no, I don't. And Jesus knows the difference. We cannot fake him. We cannot fake anywhere else. Scripture tells us that God knows the heart. It's a, it's a thing between us and God. And God knows exactly where we are, where we stand with him. So listen, today, if you're on the fence with Jesus, my, my desire, my heart for you is that you would cross that line and you choose to remain, to dwell in Jesus Christ. And that you would allow him to do the same. In scripture, in 1 Samuel, it says this, humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but God sees the heart. And in Matthew 23, Jesus actually chastises the Pharisees because they try to be religious. They try to show, look at me, I, I'm doing all the right things. I'm following all my 600 rules. But they did not understand God. They did not understand the heart of God. They were not really seeking God. They were trying to pump themselves up. And Jesus says, you blind Pharisees, first clean up the inside of the cup so that the outside of it may also become clean. Begin with your heart. You want to remain in Christ. I am not asking you to get more religious, come to church more often, not even read more of the Bible. None of those things. It's your heart first and foremost. That's where we remain in Christ. We begin with the deepest, most important part of us. And that is how we can become fruitful. So let's talk about the fruitful branch. What does it look like to have a fruitful life? How does Jesus make us into a fruitful branch? He says this in verse 4. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. This is the one that most people quote, verse 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do what? Nothing without me. You cannot accomplish this fruit. And I love the picture that he gives us. A branch cannot produce fruit. I've got a peach tree in my backyard. It's got a ton, a ton of fruit. And none of that fruit is coming because some branch on that tree went, we're going to get some fruit going. No, it starts with the, with the vine, right? It starts with the core. Out of, out of that core, then fruit comes. And so we, we stick to Jesus. We plant ourselves in our heart and our lives, and we give it to Jesus. And out of that, he produces fruit. In fact, he says this in Matthew 7, by their fruit, by their fruit, you will recognize them. This is how the world will know. This is how you know. This is how God knows that you are actually following Jesus, fruit that is being produced in your life. So the very next question you should be asking is, what fruit? What fruit is he producing? And how does he do that? 
Before I go there, then you go back to verse chapter 2. I mean, verse 2 in chapter 15, where he says, He prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. And then he tells them this strange sentence. He says, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. This is the key verse that's going to tell us about the fruit that God is about to prepare. So this is, again, geek alert, another geek alert. The word for prunes, he prunes, and the word for clean are the same word. Slightly different tense, same word. The word for pruning is katharei, to cleanse, obviously, to cleanse from filth, actually, to purify. And then the word for clean is katharoi, to make pure, to make clean without a stain or a spot. Hmm. When he says he prunes every branch, he's using the metaphor of a vine, but he uses a Greek word that gives us the picture of something being cleansed. That's exactly what a a vine, uh, when a vineyard uh, gardener works on the vine, they end up looking like this, almost dead looking, don't they? But no longer do they have all this crazy stuff growing in every direction. They look clean. They look ready to begin budding and producing fruit. God starts a work in you and I when we put our trust in Jesus Christ and he begins to clean house. He begins to change us and make us more and more like his son. And what that looks like is through the power of the spirit, he begins to change us from the inside out. Galatians chapter five gives us a long list of the fruit of the Spirit. That's what Jesus is talking about. In us, Christ will produce good fruit. And this fruit looks like this, as Galatians tells us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's a singular fruit that produces all of this good stuff. And when God is working in us, making us fruitful, he is working in us, cleaning out anything that's not of this. He is working it out so that we have more and more of this fruit. And he does a beautiful job at it if we let him. He really does. He even uses other people to sharpen us, right? I know for myself, since I became a believer when I was 40, so that was mm, so many years ago. And I mean, I look at my life and definitely there's been much that has changed. And he's even used my husband, my sweet husband, who's currently at man camp. So I, I can pick on him a little bit, okay? Because he tests my patience once in a while. And I test his. And we kind of together uh, actually get to grow and learn to be more and more Christ, Christ-like. Christ is working in my heart as I, in my marriage, as I see some of the things we struggle with, those are opportunities for me to grow, to become more like Christ. One thing I've learned about this, being now married 16 years to Jim, and and this journey of life, is that anytime I get amped up, and I'm a zero to 60 kind of a person, anybody, it's it's, okay, you're all Puerto Rican too, huh? (laughs) I go from zero to 60 in no time, and I've learned something. Every time I do that, it has more to do with me than it has to do with the other person. I found out that every time I get amped up, it's because some button in me got pushed. 
There's some brokenness in me or some habit or some old fear or insecurity that just got bing stuck. And then I just like, I come out. And then I had to stop and go, now, wait a second now. Was my reaction really the right reaction to the situation? And I'm finding that when I go to God and Jesus with this, he usually is really good at saying, well, you know, this is actually revealing this pain. Or this is revealing this side of your heart that needs to be worked on. Or this is really revealing some of your fears. Or maybe this is revealing that you're not trusting in me. I mean, you name it. I got, Jesus has revealed all kinds of stuff to me when I come to him and go, okay, that was a really crazy reaction. What happened there? And he answers the prayer. Before I even go to that other person, he's already doing a work in me. That's what Jesus is saying. He prunes the vine so that it would be fruitful. Do you fight it? Do you fight the work of the Spirit in your life? Or do you let him prune, clean, adjust, strengthen, transform you from the inside out? And I know that in life we experience all kinds of things. And I'm not one to say that God is the one who causes us all of our troubles, whether it's illnesses or losses or, or stresses. I don't, I don't believe that. I don't think God is that kind of a God. But he does use every situation, every experience, every struggle, every challenge. And even in that, God produces fruit in my life in your life. I can look back at my own life and see times where my life was the hardest and that's where more fruit was produced because I was willing to give it to God. Are you with me? Does that happen to you? When we give to God our struggle, he turns it around and he produces fruit in us. And then he uses other people to be in our lives to also produce fruit in us. And and that's the beauty of being in community which is why the writer of Hebrews says, don't forget to gather with one another. Don't forget to be in community with one another because it is through other people that Jesus cleanses us from the inside out. Quite often is another person who might challenge us in a way that we wouldn't otherwise be challenged. Maybe we just need to be encouraged that we're on the right track. Maybe just spurring one another to trust God more and more. Remember what Eve did. She isolated herself from Adam and from God. And that's what we do. We isolate. And God's like, no, no, you must remain with people. That is where I do my best work. And all of that, all of that, God does for the glory of God. All of it. It says the Father is glorified when you produce fruit. And and that is the beauty of this, is that it is on God. God is the one who wants to do this, and it is to his glory that we actually produce anything of value as we trust him. Now, the last thing that Jesus says in verse 9 and 10 says this. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. So remain in my love. If you keep my commands, he says, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. Jesus is saying, what is actually the nutrition to cause all of this fruit to come about is God's perfect, wonderful, merciful, graceful love. And that is what holds us together with God. It's not judgment. It's not criticism. It's God's love towards us. The desire of a vineyard gardener is to create 
good and plentiful food, fruit out of that tree. That's what God wants to do for us, and it is an act of his love for us. That's why we remain. And then we are called by Jesus to share that love with others, to love the way that we were loved ourselves, to share our testimony, to share our stories, to share how we are growing to becoming more and more like Christ, to be willing, like Jesus, to give up things, to give up ourselves as a living sacrifice that God could produce fruit in someone else's life. We put ourselves second so that we may serve others. And you know, the, this is what the world needs. You know, the term Christian was, was said of Christians because they were Christ followers. They were try, imitating all that Jesus did. Does the world see us that way? When, they, when we say we're a Christian, do they experience the very same things that Jesus did? A love, a sacrificial kind of a love? Orange County used to be um, full of orange trees everywhere. Uh, Jim grew up here in Orange County, so he always tells me where he drove. There was just orange groves everywhere you went, and it was a great smell as they were flowering up. So it made sense back then. If a visitor drove through Orange County, it was like, yep, there's a lot of oranges here. That's a perfect name for this town. But today, when you drive around Orange County, you don't see a whole lot of orange trees, do you? And now maybe a visitor might go, why is this called Orange County? And we have to tell them, oh, there used to be all kinds of orange trees over here. In the same way, does the world today wonder, who are these Christians? Why are they called Christians? They don't even look like Jesus. They don't act like Jesus. They are judgmental. They are hypocritical. They are harsh. They are, they are, they are separate. I mean, the world, I think, often looks at us and goes, you, you don't look anything like Jesus. Yes? Right. What if we, what if we, right here in this room, we committed to remaining in Christ, dwelling in him, letting him cleanse us and prune us and change us so that wherever we go, there Christ is seen. That's the task he's given us. You know, I am, I'm just amazed at God because Today's message was not selected by me. Eric Geiger, our new senior pastor, is the most organized, you know, strategic guy. He's got the whole year already planned. We know what we're going to teach every single Sunday. And so he had this series already planned in January. And so for this Sunday, it was already planned that we would be teaching on this passage. Now, it doesn't get lost on me that somewhere in this journey, God called me to make a shift to go from being your chapel pastor to being more of a rotation teaching pastor. And that today was selected for me to be my last day to preach to you as your pastor. Which makes me think of the moment that Jesus had with his 11 disciples. This was the last conversation he had with them before he went to the cross. No, I am not going to the cross. But all that being said, I asked Jesus, what would you want to say to your people through me as their pastor. As your pastor today, here's what I feel God wants me to tell you. You know, here at Mariners, we're doing something incredibly unique. You know, you have a reputation. Did you know this? 
not just here at Mariners, but outside of Mariners, people know about this chapel and how we as a community meet at the same time as 3,000 people meet just across the way in that lakeway, lake, lake right there. And the question people mostly ask me when I say, oh, I'm the chapel pastor, I, you teach on Sundays, yes. When do you teach on Sundays? In the afternoon? No, at the same time as the worship center. Why do you do that? And people go there? Why do they do that? I know why. I know you know why. Right? Some of you, this is your church. This is where you come on a regular basis. Some of you, you come once in a while. Some of you, this is your first time. The chapel is a ministry to our Mariners family and our community. There are times when our soul yearns for a place and an experience just like this, where we want to be in community with one another in a smaller gathering, where we want to experience uh, all the different stations and have an interaction with God, where we want to worship maybe in a less of a you know, big way. We want to just go smaller and simpler, where we want to be a family to one another. And so this is who we are. We are a ministry. God has given us a work here at the chapel, and you have done a beautiful job at becoming a family with one another. And you have done a beautiful job, those of you who are here every Sunday, at welcoming and and embracing those visitors who come and go, depending on where they feel called. And my prayer for you is that while I may not be your pastor anymore, my prayer is that you remain in that. Our reason for coming here is not Enos Franklin. It's Jesus Christ. Do I hear an amen? I love you, but I'm here because I'm here to meet Jesus Christ. First and foremost. And I know that's your desire as well. So don't change that. And come and be a family with one another so that people who need this place from time to time or once a year or maybe just once will have a community that will receive them and love them, and embrace them, and that we might model for them Jesus, that we might show them this is what it looks like to be Christ-like, to abide, to remain in Jesus. And I'm going to come around, and you're going to see me, and I'm so stinking proud of you. Everywhere I go, this is a family that has held me for all these years. I've been teaching here almost seven years, and my first sermon was awful, really awful. I've listened to it. The only redeeming quality of that sermon was that I I actually quoted scripture. Thank God. And you've received me. And I'm so grateful for that. And I've grown and learned with you. And I know God has a plan for my life and he has a plan for your life and he has a plan for this community. I urge you, remain in Christ and continue to grow good fruit as you already are producing. Would you stand as we respond to God? First John, verse, chapter 2, verse 5 and 6 says this. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. This is how we have come to know love, that he laid down his life for us, So we too should lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. As we respond to what God has said to us today, we come around this room. If you're, this is your first time coming to the chapel. I'm so glad that you're here. 
We go to the cross where we remember there, there's no longer condemnation in Christ Jesus. We put our trust in him and we are fixed for eternity in the hands of our heavenly father. And therefore we work through God making us new. God helping us deal with those things in our lives that bring destruction. God rescuing us from our addictions and our bad habits and all the things that need to be cleansed in our lives. And we go there, we give it to God. He does the work. We come and we light the candles of hope. We have our elders up front and our prayer team around. We go to the offering boxes, give back from what God has given us. And today, look at this beautiful communion table. We take communion every Sunday, remembering that last supper that Jesus had with his disciples. How perfect is that? And that table was people around it. So today we have made the table so that you can see each other as you take communion doing it as a family, doing it as a community. And right here at the foot of the table is a beautiful art piece created by Angie Campbell, one of our congregants. And it's based on John chapter 15. It's a vine with people as the branches. And you can look at this branch and say, which one am I? The one that's resting, the one that's standing firm, the one that's barely hanging. And just be inspired by this beautiful art. Take the bread representing the body, Dip it in the cup representing his blood. Take it in and make a renewed commitment day by day to remain in Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory, and you dwelling in his perfect place. Father, thank you. Oh, thank you for the powerful words of Jesus. Thank you for what you have taught us this entire series. We cannot deny that Jesus made very exclusive claims of himself. But all of those claims are a source of hope for us. And Father, thank you that you choose to make us fruitful. That even when we mess up our lives, oh God, you come in and you transform us into the image of his son. And out of that, you give our life purpose and passion and meaning and legacy. We are grateful people. So as we respond, we respond with gratitude and we say this and we pray it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go ahead and respond and then we will worship together. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and his work together. Thanks again.